Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are in a series studying the gospel according to Mark, and we have broken it into two parts. We have finished our first three chapters of Mark, introducing Jesus as king of heaven and earth, coming to rule over his kingdom with love and grace. We are beginning our second half of this study by looking at chapter 7 through the end of 16 and the story of King Jesus ascending his throne with power through the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 7 and seeing how Jesus confronts the idea of traditions empty of the heart work of humans. Now, I want to begin by just having us reflect on what are your favorite traditions in your family or in your friend group or in your own life? What traditions hold a lot of value and significance for you? What is it? If you're watching this even online, you can drop it in the chat and let others know what your traditions are. For me, it's an annual vacation to Wildwood, New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. It's where I preach and do ministry from. And so I don't call the beach the beach. I call it the shore. And on the shore are boardwalks. And boardwalks are filled with tons of tacky lights and fried foods and bright and loud games. And then maybe sometimes you actually go to the water. Our family tradition has been, and my dad did this as a kid and his father before him, going to Wildwood each summer. And so for me, that tradition speaks a lot to my family and speaks to who my family is and brings us together. And we try as a family now every other year to revisit and go back to Wildwood again. My sisters, my nephews, nieces, myself, and my wife, and my family go to Wildwood for just a few days at least and keep that tradition going and keep that connection going. And what a tradition does is it serves as a marker or an uh, outward indication of a heart issue. And so for us, Wildwood is a reminder that we're a family and we're a family that loves each other and loves to have fun together. But if we maintained that tradition while the idea of family eroded in us, if we kept going to Wildwood every other year, but we didn't call or talk to each other ever in between that, if we had resentments, hurts, and unforgiveness that built up over time between each other, and we still went to Wildwood, but there was animosity between us and a game of mini golf got really aggressively angry, or we ate funnel cake in silence together and there was no connection anymore, that tradition now serves as a hypocritical statement to a family that doesn't exist in that loving joy anymore. Traditions serve the core of our identity, i.e. we are family. And when that core is lost and the tradition stays, the tradition is empty and it's an empty container of something no longer there. We have tons of these inside of the Christian tradition and the church itself. A small group can become insular and self-serving and misses the heart of continuing to grow and reach others and develop deep intimacy and just becomes something we do all the time or we do every week or we do each semester. A style of worship can become a tradition and I just really like the old hymns or I just really like Hillsong or modern choruses and it becomes about the tradition and not the heart of it driving us into the presence of a wonderful and high God as we're reminded of our own sin and our gratitude at his love for us. This year that I'm preaching in, in 2021 and reflecting back on the pandemic in 2020 was a year of tradition deconstruction. It was really hard to do things that we traditionally did or almost any of the things that we traditionally did. 
And one of the things that became apparent to me in this last year is how many of our traditions were serving heart issues that were waning at best. And to reevaluate how are we pushing our hearts closer to the intimacy and the loving vulnerability of King Jesus. Today, as we start a look at the Gospel of Mark and Jesus' death and resurrection, we're going to look at a passage that challenges traditions without heart work. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, starting in verse 1 through 15. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? Probably more so like, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Then Jesus called to the crowd, Come and hear, all of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. I skipped verses three and four, where it explains a bit of the the tradition of ceremonial cleansing. And I skipped verses 10 through 14, where Jesus gives an example about how they treat their parents. In this passage, we are going to talk about three concepts. First, traditions. Can our actions alone save us? Second, we'll talk about the human heart and how broken we really are. And then third and final, We're going to look at what Jesus, what King Jesus wants, and that is our broken hearts. Let's talk about traditions. Can our actions save us? Let's look at this verse. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. This concept If you've been in church for a long time or you've grown up in church, you probably have had settings where you were visiting a new church or at somebody else's church or maybe your church was going through a transition itself. We went through one of those ourselves at Pennington AG Church and things might change that you've been familiar with for years or decades or centuries and you ask yourself, is this right? The pastor is wearing jeans and I don't know if I can do... They're coming up and receiving communion and, and the pastor or minister is handing it to, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. These songs are done in a different way than, we come into church settings and traditions may change. And this is what the Pharisees say. There are traditions that they've done for decades, if not hundreds of years that they have practiced. And they say, well, you're not doing these traditions anymore. What does this mean? How can you be practicing members of our organization if you're not doing the traditions? And so we know about the ceremony cleansing, just to be on the same page. They're not talking about hygiene. This isn't about the disciples having dirty hands and they're concerned that they're going to get a disease or something from that. They're talking about ceremonial cleansing. And the way ceremonial cleansing works is you clean your hands first so that they're not dirty if you've been working in the field or what have you. And then once they're physically clean, there is a ceremony to make them 
spiritually clean. And oftentimes they would say this prayer while performing this cleansing ritual over their hands. Blessed be thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who sanctified us by the laws and commanded us to wash the hands. And now this is not biblical. This is not from the Bible. This is a tradition that they added. Most likely it's derived from a couple of passages in Exodus about the priests. In Exodus 30, 19 and Exodus 40, 12, the priests were supposed to physically cleanse themselves and spiritually cleanse themselves before going into the tabernacle or into the presence of God. And it's thought, okay, that was good for the priests. And so we just keep adding, all right, it might be better if for all of us, if, and then all the way down to every single meal and before every single snack, performing this prayer and this cleansing ritual in order to be clean and holy. And what's amazing about this is how often we add to scripture things that aren't in there without batting an eye. But if someone takes something out of scripture, we lose our minds when the two are one and the same. Jesus said, you can't add or take away from scripture. Anyone who tells you to do that is in danger of the fires of hell. We can't add or take away. But we are often far more concerned when someone removes a verse than when someone adds one in. I'll give you an example. Give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. We often think of that as a Bible verse. It's not. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. It actually doesn't even make sense in the context of the gospel itself. My wife was actually in uh, a training session. She's a teacher and was in a seminar where someone was teaching the teachers and how to work with their students. And she said that passage. She said, Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. And she said to everybody, now we all know who said that. And there's an awkward scientist, Jesus. I kept talking and my wife looked around and one of her fellow teachers who is not a Christian but knows Caitlin is, leaned over and was like, is that? And she's like, no, that's not, that's not from the Bible. What we derive from this is adding things is better than taking things away because it comes to a part of the human heart that's broken where we try to solve our spiritual problems by trying harder. And our solution is to add more, try harder, be more intense, be more rigid, work for it more intensely. So I made too many rules. So what? I, this because I was passionate. So I tried too hard and I maybe missed other areas of compassion, but it was out of passion. When we read the Gospels and we see the character of Jesus over and over again, he teaches us an idea present here in Mark 7 that stop trying so hard to be holy and instead rest in my presence relationally and I will provide you with my holiness. So often Jesus tells people, relax, calm down, enter into my joy, rest in my presence. You are trying so hard to achieve something you never can. Allow me to do it and then rest in my presence. When we make so many rules and when we add to what God expects of us, we miss that the heart of a relationship with God is about loving relational joy and that the Christian journey is about finding joy in the relational love that Jesus provides for us. Jesus assesses of these Pharisees accurately and then he quotes Isaiah that their behaviors may look good but their hearts are far from God. 
He calls them hypocrites, which is derived from the term play acting. You're, you're pretending to be a way that you're not. You're more fixated on what people's perceptions of you are than who you truly are. You're expert mask wearers. And oftentimes, even in the church, we can become expert mask wearers. I want other people to think of me as a good Christian or to think of me as a good person or to think of me as holy or disciplined or kind and loving when maybe there are areas of my life that really aren't. But as long as they perceive me as that, I'm good. He says, you cleanse your hands, but you do not allow God to cleanse your heart. Because if we're honest, following the rules and trying harder in rules is easier than the vulnerability of confessing our sin before God and another person and vulnerably asking them to love us with our sins, weaknesses, and shames apparent. It's really hard to bear our own sins before someone, before God and before other people, and to say, will you still love me when you know the depth of my sin? Will I still be a part of this group if you guys know what I think or what I do or where I've been? It's harder than I'm just going to do these rules, stand up and sit down. I'm going to follow this and not eat this and talk in this way. To bear one's heart is scarier and harder. I can go to church. I can serve on a team. I can read my Bible. I can give financially and never share vulnerably with another member of the Christian faith. This is why small groups are so important. You can be in and out of a small group and still kind of maintain your distance and protect your vulnerability, but to stay in a small group, the same small group for years at a time, for over a year, to meet with the same people and share about your life and come together is hard to maintain the facade of perfection. At some point in a loving relationship, we have to vulnerably let our guard down and trust that someone else's love will accept us. This is where Christ does his best work. Jesus says, you do these actions, but your heart is far from me. Let's challenge ourselves to ask that question of ourselves in the modern world. Do we attend church, but our heart is far from him? Do we read our Bibles, but our heart is far from him? Do we pray eloquently, but our hearts are far from him? Do we contribute financially, but our hearts are far from him? Do we minister to others, but our heart is far from him? Do we sing loudly, but our hearts are far from him? Our actions alone do not save us. For some of us churchy folk, we need to know our traditions alone do not save us. Traditions and actions are helpful so long as they support a heart that is vulnerable before Jesus. So let's ask this next question. The human heart, how broken are we? This is where Jesus puts his finger in this passage as he begins to preach and move towards the cross. In verse 15, he says, It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. It's not these actions or the things you watch or the things you do. It's your heart that is broken and needs transformation. He's saying you can't fix your heart. Only I can. Only Jesus can. And what the Bible means by heart is different from our, our physical heart. He's not talking about a literal heart transplant. He's talking about a transformation of who we are, our identity, our soul, uniquely me. In Proverbs 4.23, they write, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
When the Bible uses the term heart, it means the seat of who you are, the essence of your identity. Your heart is you, the essence of you. Psalmists use this language. Jesus uses this language. Your actions and decisions and words all come from your heart, who you are. And you cannot change your actions without a change of heart. A tree cannot bear different fruit than who the tree is. And we need to bring our heart before Jesus to examine and change. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this about our hearts. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The church planter and the author Paul quotes this verse in his letter to the Romans. And the basic idea is that we cannot change our hearts. We can change our actions and we can change them incrementally a little bit at a time and we might make some progress and then we'll regress and we'll make some progress and then we'll regress. But the heart behind what we do, we can't change on our own. I can't turn myself into a different person. The essence of who I am is sinful and selfish. What we normally end up in is a pattern that kind of looks like this. God, I want to change. Give me the strength to change. Then we go a few days without doing whatever sin is our typical weakness. Then a few days later, we fall into a little bit of it. We kind of let our guard down a little bit. We slip up and then we, we recenter ourselves again. And then a few days go by again until we are right back into our same pattern again. Allah, the next week we come back, we offer the same prayer. God, give me strength now to really change. And then the pattern continues and continues for the rest of our life. Then we create traditions and systems and rules in order to further amplify this pattern. Well, maybe I just need to, to try it louder. Or maybe I need to um, say it to, between a song. Or maybe I need to have more safeguards on myself for it. And what Jesus speaks is stop trying to change your life via traditions and rules. We teach it this way. What I believe affects how I feel and how I feel affects what I do. Jim Wilder, uh, who's written many books and wrote a book last year on the other half of church, lays out a different transformative idea behind this. He says, what we feel actually moves faster than what we think. And in any situation, we respond by our feel and our heart faster than we respond with our mind, which means you may know the right thing to do, the God-honoring thing to do, and your heart may react faster than you know that it's wrong to do. And so what do we do then? What do we do if my heart is moving faster than my brain? He says, we define character as our embedded automatic responses to our relational environment our instantaneous behavior that flows naturally from our heart. And so our emotional reactions to things can be understood as our character, who we really are. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter even the belief systems you've put in place, if you haven't turned your heart over to God's transformational work, your character is going to suffer. And if your character suffers, there will be more pain in this world. And I have come to transform this world through you. As the author of Mark painstakingly shows us now over the next nine chapters of Mark is how to place our heart into a transformative, 
loving, joy-filled, sacrificial relationship. The only way to change the human heart is through self-sacrificing love and through loving relationship. And this is why Jesus comes. This is why King Jesus embodies flesh on this earth. This is why King Jesus takes our own sin onto himself on the cross. This is why King Jesus resurrects from the grave and invites us into an eternity of relationship with him because our hearts can only change by loving relationship. And Jesus has come to lovingly bring us back into a relationship that transforms our hearts and who we are. Nothing else but love transforms our hearts. And Mark shows us that Jesus is the best example of that love. Jesus, who regularly emphasizes relationship over rules. Jesus, who lays down his authority and reveals himself as entirely broken on the cross. Jesus, who rises from the dead out of the joy of desiring relationship with you and I. Heart change can be facilitated through tradition. It can be facilitated through rules, so long as those traditions and rules are there to drive us into the loving presence of Jesus Christ. We call these spiritual disciplines or spiritual formational practices, things that drive us to sit in silence in the presence of Jesus and invite him to speak to us. Things that move us to examine the biblical text, to examine the story of Mark, and to see who Jesus is as King, as Savior, as God. Things that drive us into relationship with one another and create situations where we are vulnerable before one another of our sin and shame to receive the love of a Christ-centered relationship and community. And so what does Jesus want He wants our broken hearts. He wants who we are in our brokenness, in our struggles. He wants a relationship with us. And so I want to actually give us through uh, an exercise as we close out this time together, a meditative work. Because Jesus teaches here in Mark 7 that tradition alone will not save us. And he's talking to people really, really good at tradition. And I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I've become really good at tradition. There are patterns and Sundays and worships and prayers and things that I do that are traditions that I can do pretty automatically at this point in my life. And Jesus says those traditions are okay as long as underneath them is a loving pursuit of my presence and a loving pursuit of one another. And so Jesus teaches this in the beginning of Mark 7, and then we have a unique and strange story following this teaching. It's a woman not from Israel, a woman outside of their tradition and their community, who comes to Jesus out of her vulnerability and brokenness. And Jesus first kind of pushes her away and even says some harsh words to her, but she keeps pressing and she keeps pushing, and she's really open about her brokenness and really open about her vulnerability. And we see a pattern that we've seen all throughout Mark. She trusts that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the king who can transform her life, and she brings her burdens and her weakness and her vulnerability before him and trusts that in that relationship, there will be transformation. And so I want to invite you as we read this story together to wherever you are, just meditatively 
bring this passage into your own experience. Where is your heart in your relationship with Jesus? Where is your heart in your spiritual journey? Are you hungry and pursuing a relationship? Or are you distracted by the traditions and the techniques and the rules that are there? Revisit that burning passion for Jesus and press into the loving transformation of a relationship with King Jesus. Let's reflect together. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Then Jesus left Galilee and he went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Harsh words, he's pressing her. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. She humbles herself in desperation and pursues Jesus' work and love in her life. Good answer, he says. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed. And the demon was gone. If you'll pray with me. Jesus, for those of you that may have known you um, a long time, been followers of yours for years, God, we pursue you in this moment. May we have hearts that yearn for you. And the traditions we serve in and the patterns, God, may they all serve to further our burning passion and desire for you, our ability to be vulnerable and broken before you, our belief and trust that you are the power that transforms. You are the one who can take our dead, broken heart and restore it to new life and joy again. That you are the one who can take a sinful person and renew them through your work on the cross and resurrection. Jesus, we pursue a relationship with you. May we see you. May we feel you. May we respond to your loving authority and grace. Those of you that are watching this and may not have a relationship with Jesus, and you may be new to this whole journey, I just want to give you your own opportunity to pray a prayer with me today to begin that process of following Jesus, to begin that process of knowing this loving relationship and to be filled with his joy. If you'll pray this with me right now, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to experience your love and power. On my own, I am broken, and I know that my heart has sin and selfishness and shame, and I give it to you in this moment to be transformed and renewed. May I know you and discover you 
as my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you came into this world and you lived on this earth. You died on a cross for my sin and my shame. And you rose from the grave so that I could have eternal life with you in your glorious presence. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If that was your first time praying that today, just click one of the links around this video. We would love to walk that journey with you, celebrate with you, and continue to encourage you to pursue the loving, joy-filled authority of Jesus in your life. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.